prayer. My prayer this morning is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Now, you know, I collect jokes about heaven. I collect fishing jokes and I collect jokes about heaven. So here's one of my heaven jokes that fits today's sermon. A man, as it often is in these jokes, dreamed that he went to heaven and he met St. Peter at the, the front door and Peter says, welcome, would you like the tour? And he says, sure. And heaven was a long hallway and there were doors on either side. He said, well, that's sort of strange. He said, well, yeah, come on down. So they go down and they open the first door and there are people in there and they are smoking and playing cards. He says, oh my goodness, isn't this heaven? He says, well, yeah, here's how it works. Whatever you weren't allowed to do on earth, you get to do in heaven. Wow, he said, and they go down to the next one and they were drinking. And the next group was dancing and the group at the end was drinking and dancing and playing cards. He said, who are they? He says, they're the Baptists. He said, whatever you didn't do on earth, you get to do in heaven. Well, we know that's not the way heaven is, but I want you to know that that's the way sometimes we think about this place called earth. When I was about 14 years old, they decided to teach us in my Sunday school class a, word, a class on world religions. And what they actually taught us was what made us as Methodist children different from all the others. So this is what we learned. We learned that Presbyterians believed in predestination and God had decided before the beginning of time who was going and who wasn't. And that was wrong and that's why we weren't Presbyterian. And we learned that the Baptists, you know, you baptize people after they made a decision for Christ. Well, you know, Cornelius' family baptized his entire family and the Philippian jailer baptized his entire family. It was their entire family is probably children and babies. That's why you were wrong and that's why Methodists were right. And we learned that the Catholics... Well, the Catholics, you know, they don't really even make a decision for Christ. They just, you know, get bread and wine every Sunday. And they have idols in their church. And that's why we're not Catholic. And that's why they're wrong. And we learned why every single denomination around us was wrong. And that's why we were Methodists. Now, I don't know about you, but that's the way we think about the kingdom of God. If you go back and you look at church history, every time there's a break, it was a disagreement over something that means nothing to God. Whether or not we have wine or grape juice, do we kneel, do we stand, do we sit? The Presbyterians take communion sitting down when they do it because they don't want to venerate the articles. John Calvin said we're not going to kneel down to the bread or the wine and they take it sitting down. Now, as a Methodist little boy, I knew that you had to go up and kneel. And I visited a Presbyterian church. I was like, why isn't anybody kneeling? Now, the Episcopals and the Catholics, they like you to kneel so much. There's actually a kneeling bench on the bottom of each pew when you go to visit. And rather than look at what we all share in common, we look for reasons to divide. We look for reasons to say, that's why you're wrong, that's why you're wrong, that's why you're wrong, and that's why I'm right. So I could preach on the love of the shepherd looking for the lamb as part of his family because we know that the lambs became a part of the shepherd's family. They lived with them and they ate with them and they slept with them. We're not going to do that. We could talk about how the women of Jesus' time and even today the Bedouin women sew their dowry into their headdresses 
and that a drachma, the silver coin, was worth more than a day's wages. So if she had 10 of those coins, that was her emergency fund. Right? Larry Burkett and all the guys who teach you how to invest your money wisely as Christians and be good stewards tell you you need to have an emergency fund, money that is there in case something bad happens. And the Bedouin women actually sew it into their headdress. So when she lost that, that was very important to her. We're not going to preach on that. What we're going to talk about is the end of the story. Jesus says, when one of these little children, when one of these lost lambs, lost coins, comes into a saving knowledge of God's love and Jesus Christ, there's a party. We don't talk about the party enough. We talk about the sin. My, my son actually put on his Facebook page. He's a pastor as well. He put on that he was going to preach on sin and then hit him with God's grace. This story has nothing to do with sin. It has everything to do with God's grace. So I want you to picture what's happening. Jesus is speaking, and we learned last week as we work our way through Luke, that the multitudes are coming. Now here's the problem. You don't always get the people coming that you think should be there. I don't know about your neighborhood, but I know the people in my neighborhood, and I know who goes to church, and I know who doesn't. And I know whose uh, recycling bin is filled with uh, fermented beverages every Wednesday, and whose isn't. And I know who takes good care of their house and cuts their lawn, and who doesn't. And I have opinions about my neighbors, just like you do, because of the way I know they live their life. And these neighbors were showing up to see Jesus. Now we're told, I, I love the Old Testament, uh, the King James, when they say you know, the publicans and the sinners followed him, right? Well, there's publicans and sinners and prostitutes. And guess what? Liars and cheaters and profligates, they were, they were all there. Except there was this imaginary line down the middle of the crowd. Because we're told that the religious leaders were there. The pastors were there. And the rabbis were there, and the priests were there, and they were judging the other people like, why are those sinners here? And Jesus preaches this sermon, gives these parables, more, in my opinion, to the religious leaders than to the people that came to hear the word of God. So, did the coin know it was lost? The answer is no. A coin can't know it's lost. There are some people in this world who are clueless to the fact that Jesus died for them. Does Jesus care about them? Yes. He died for them. He rose again from the grave for them. But that story, I believe, was for the publicans and the sinners. They didn't even know they were lost. They knew there was something missing. And they knew that Jesus was there to fill that gap. On the other side, we had the sheep. Now, I don't know about you, but when I took my kids to the mall, and I remember I was the Echelon Mall chaplain, I ran the mall ministry there, they got very comfortable with that mall, and sometimes they would disappear without my permission. And then I would look for them, and I might not be able to find them. And a true story, my daughter, who was about four years old, ran into Boscoff's. The mall ministry is right next to Boss Clubs, and all the ladies' clothing racks are there. And she disappeared. 
Now, I'm the chaplain of the mall. I've got my collar on. Everybody in the mall knows me because I treated it like a chaplaincy. And I visited all the stores and I talked to all the workers. And Cindy, I'll never forget, Cindy came up and she's, Doc, are you okay? I said, Diana is gone. Diana's gone, she says. We have to find her. So now we're searching. We can't find Diana. The security guard comes over. Doc, are you okay? Diana's gone. Everybody knew Diana. We're searching the whole store for Diana. Finally, Cindy says, shh. And we all get very quiet. And we hear this. (laughs) 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 She thought we were playing hide and seek. She had figured out that she could get inside the rounder. That's what they call the things that are round, the ankles on. And she was literally scurrying away from wherever she heard us. So Cindy got down on her belly on the floor and was looking for Diana's little feet and then called out, there she is, there she is, there she is, until we caught her. And then we went in the mall ministry and Diana and I had a stern talking to. (laughs) Right? But the sheep wanders away. And this is where, if, if I wanted to, I could go through, you know, the seven deadly sins and we could talk about gluttony and lust and avarice and all that. But you know what your sins are. Everybody who was standing in Jesus already knew what their sins were. In fact, if you noticed, he very rarely preached a sermon on sin. He always preached a sermon on grace because you already know. The Holy Spirit convicts, your conscience convicts, and you know that's why they were there to hear Jesus. But the religious leaders on one side are glaring at the sinners on the other side. And Jesus in his heart is breaking because they're sinners on both sides. Uh, It's a true story. Paul Newman, you know, started his own food business. Have you seen in the story you can buy his dressing, his blue cheese dressing is rather spectacular. And it's called Newman's Own is his company. And I don't know if you know this, but he donates a large portion of the profits from his food company to run a camp. It's called the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp. After the Hole in the Wall Gang from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And he volunteers at the camp. He works at the camp. And of course they use his food products. So he's serving a kid lemonade from Newman's Own. And what's right on the box? His face. And he pours it for the kid, and the kid looks at him, and he looks at the box, and he goes, are you lost or something? Because, you know, we're used to people's face on the milk carton being lost. And the answer is yes. It's like the lady who went to the pastor, and she said, Pastor, I lost my glasses at church. Is there a lost and found? Because I'm having trouble seeing. And he said, well, we don't have a lost and found, but call up Monday, and if somebody finds it, the church secretary will have it on his, her desk. And then he thought about it and he said, you know what? This whole building is a lost and found. You come here if you're lost to be found and those that are here already are supposed to have been found. There's a party at the end and I don't think we talk about the party enough. Let me catch up with myself here. God's law is very clear. And I promise you I'm not going to talk about sin today, and I'm not, because we know ours. But let's imagine that there's a fence around heaven. And the sin keeps you from crossing that fence into heaven. Well, the story's told that in World War II, some soldiers had one of their buddies die. 
And they knew that they couldn't get him back home, as happened a lot in World War II. So they took their buddy's body to the local Catholic church and they said, you have a cemetery, can we bury him here? And the priest said, well, is he Catholic? And he said, no. And he said, I'm sorry, we have very strict rules. We cannot bury your friend in the Catholic cemetery. So they went just beyond the fence of the Catholic cemetery and they buried their buddy and they said prayers over him and they put together a, 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 a wooden cross, stuck it by his grave. The story is told that they came back and they went to the fence and their buddy's grave was gone and the cross was gone and they were furious. You know, we took the time to bury him and pray for him. Where is he? What happened to our buddy? And they go running into the priest and the priest says, I'm so glad you're here. And they're like, what? He said, after you left, I saw all the love that you had for your friend and the faith that you had. And I moved the fence. Jesus comes to move the fence. And he's not just moving it for one side of the congregation, for the people that don't know they're lost. He's moving it for the other side of the congregation, for the people that know the truth and have wandered off like the lost sheep. He comes to gather all of us to himself. It, it looks for me like this. Tony Campola used to preach at my seminary once a year at Eastern Seminary. And he preached a lot at creation. And you've probably all seen or heard the videos, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. But very rarely do they show the video that he told of his story when he was in Honolulu. He tells a story that he flew in late at night, and of course, if you've ever flown a long distance, your body needs to adjust to the time. And it was 3.30 in the morning, he was wide awake and hungry, and had to do. So he went walking around to find a place, and he found a greasy spoon, one of those little places that didn't even have tables, it just had the counter with the stools. And there was nobody there except the guy behind the counter. He says, a, a big, burly guy with one of those white aprons that used to be white, but it's covered of all the stuff that he had cooked and worked on all day. He says, Can I help you? He says, Yeah, just a coffee, cup of coffee and a donut. And the man pours the coffee, and, and then he said, He wiped his hand on his apron like this and then picked up the donut like, oh. He said, but, you know, you get what you get at 3.30 in the morning and he's enjoying his coffee and his donut and nine prostitutes walk in and take over all the seats in the counter. And Tony Campola says he sort of shrunk down like this because it's him, the guy behind the counter, and nine prostitutes. And the one next to him says, tomorrow's my birthday and I'll be 39. And the girl next to her says, what do you want, a party? And Tony says, in a whispered voice with a crack, she said, I've never had a party. And all the prostitutes get up and they leave after they've had their meal or whatever. And Tony says to the guy behind the counter, did you hear that? It's her birthday tomorrow. Do you mind if I throw her a birthday party? And the guy says, wait a minute. And he calls Jane, and Jane comes out, and he learns that their names are Harry and Jane, and they run this place together. He says, this guy wants to throw a party for Agnes. She says, what a great idea. And Tony says, well, do you mind if I decorate? And he said, do whatever you want. Tony says, I'll bring a cake. And Harry says, no, I'm in charge of the cake. I'm in charge of the cake. And Jane says, I'll take care of the food. 
So at 2.30 in the morning the next night, Tony Campolo goes and he said he went to Kmart and he got cray paper and all this stuff and it made a big sign that said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. And he decorates the little greasy spoon and people begin to arrive. Jane had put it out on the wire and now it's packed wall to wall with prostitutes at Tony Campolo. <laughs> and they're all waiting and right around 3.30, Agnes comes in and everybody shouts, Happy birthday, Agnes. And she stopped in her tracks. Totally speechless. And they have to f help her find her way to a chair. And Harry comes out with this beautiful cake. And he puts it down. He says, blow out the candles, Agnes. Blow out the candles. And she's just wide-eyed like a deer in the headlights. And, and she, she, she can't do anything. So Harry blows out the candles. <sighs> He gives her a knife and he says, cut the cake, Agnes, cut the cake. And she holds it over and she's frozen. And Tony says, are you okay? She said, I want to show this cake to my mother. Can I take it home? And Tony says, now? She says, I only live two blocks away. So she takes the cake and she walks through the crowd out the door and she disappears. And Tony says, there's this awkward moment. What do you do when the person you're throwing the party for leaves with the cake? And in that moment, he said, you know what? Let's pray for Agnes. And Tony and all the prostitutes and Harry and Jane bowed their head. And he prayed for all the hurts that had been done to Agnes. And all the things that had happened and how God needed to heal her and grow her and mend her. And recapture for her the promise and the love he had for her. And when he's done praying, Harry comes over and he goes, you lied to me. He says, Harry, I didn't, what do you mean? He said, you, were, you said you were a sociologist and you're a preacher. What kind of church do you go to? And Tony says, in a moment of clarity, he looked him in the eye and he said, I go to a church that throws birthday parties for hookers. And Harry looked at him and said, no, you don't. Because if there was a church like that, I would go there. The story isn't about being lost. The story isn't about the sin. The story is about the party. The story is about knowing that God loved you enough to send his son to die for you, re-raised from the dead, and to enter in a relationship with him. If you don't know that you were lost, if you're like the coin, and this is the first time you've heard that Jesus did that great and mighty thing for you, then we're going to leave a space in the front of the church. And during the last hymn, come up and give your heart to Jesus. If you wandered off like the religious leaders of the day, and you knew the truth, but you have left it for whatever reason, and you need to refocus on the fact that Jesus died for you, and you are in the family of God. Again, we're going to leave a place for you in the front during the last hymn. Come forward and pray. And lastly, if you know somebody who is lost and God has laid them on your heart, Wiki, myself, and the, and the deacons would love to pray with you for the salvation of that person. Because the Bible says where two or more agree is touching, there am I with them also. You don't have to be lost anymore. Amen.